glad that you're here today and we're joined together by everybody online and everybody at our Plymouth and our Milton location. So to hello to everybody as well. My name is Nate Gagney. I'm the lead pastor here at Restoration Church and uh, excited to share God's word with you this morning. Excited to spend Christmas Eve together, which is a lot of fun. If you've never been to one of our Christmas Eve services, it is probably the tradition we have that we try to protect. And uh, since, you, you know, I've been part of Restoration Church a very, very long time before I was pastoral staff, I was just a bratty kid here. And uh, I've been going to our Christmas Eve services my whole life, pretty much. And uh, Love that time that we get to share together. Before we jump into the word, just wanted to share with you a Kingdom Builders update. That's pretty exciting. Um, one thing that we do uh, as, uh, as the adults is we match our teenagers' uh, Speed the Light Giving, which is their Kingdom Builders project. So, so our $150,000 goal is our adult goal, and then our teenagers have their own separate goal. And the way it's worked out through some matching funds that were, that were offered, um, our, I, I don't know the exact total, we'll know that, um, you know, we'll know that at year's end, but we do know that the, that the total Speed the Light giving um, for Restoration Church as a whole is going to be over $30,000, which is amazing, amazing. Uh, just so proud of our teenagers and their heart for Kingdom Builders. He, you know, they're part of it and, and just their heart to, um, to, to live for something other than, uh, you know, other than their own needs and their own comfort and their own wants. So amazing stuff. Just wanted to share that with you. Well, let me share another story with you. Uh, this is a true story. And uh, I was, a number of years ago, it was before I was married, I went to go visit one of my friends who lived in another state. And so we ended up going, I, w- I went to church with him. And after church, we, you know, as is typical in the South, uh, everybody goes out to eat after church. So we ended up going out with a few other people from his church, and at the table was this older couple, and it's hard to tell, I don't know how old they were, but they were older. They could have been, um, and this is going to offend some people, they were older than me, they're older than me still. So I, I think they were in their early 60s, and uh, so we ate lunch with them, they were very, very pleasant, very nice, very hospitable, very gracious, just great people to eat lunch with. So even though I was in my early 20s, loved hanging out with this couple and getting to know them amidst everybody else that was at this Mexican restaurant. I mean, it was probably like 25 people all there at this big, huge table. Just as a side note, you know, at a Mexican restaurant, they bring out these plates that are scalding hot and they're like, you know, don't touch or you'll learn to speak Spanish. And, and I'll never forget the waiter that day, he had those scalding hot plates all the way up his arm to his neck. He came out holding like 10, eight, nine or 10 different plates and then was just taking them out and passing them. It was amazing. Anyway, we should bring, we should try to find him and hire him to come to Christmas Eve service. And he could be like, he could dance with it during one of our songs. 
Anyway. Well, after lunch, my friend, he, uh, he you know, just to chit-chat, he started to tell me about the couple that were, that were sitting across from me, and he began to tell me some of their backstory. And you never know someone's backstory, right? You just, you, I, I think we just assume, um, you know, everybody's got a perfect life, nobody's walked through anything difficult, and um, if, if someone's put together, you just think that that's what their life was. Well, this couple, uh, my friend told me, um, they, they had walked through something that, um, you know, they were the only people that I've met that walked through that. Their son had, was murdered when he was in his early 20s. And I was like, oh my word, you know, you know, I had no idea. How could you have any idea? Um, it was amazing to me how joyful and kind they were. So despite going through something that difficult and something that traumatic, they still love Jesus, which I think is amazing because oftentimes, I mean, I met so many people over the years that when a loved one or a friend passes away, they walk away from Jesus. But here was their son who went through something very traumatic, but they were, I mean, I, I didn't know them before, but they were, they were followers of Jesus. They loved him and, and it exuded out of them. It was amazing to me. But that wasn't the end of the story. Um, my friend began to tell me some of the other stuff. So their son was murdered. The murderer was, um, was caught, found guilty. And I don't remember exactly. I mean, this was a long time ago. He told me the story. Um, but it was, it was like almost random crime. It was not, it, it was not, you know, it wasn't like the son was a drug dealer and got caught trying to steal someone's territory. He, it was just a random act of violence. And they went to the trial and at the trial, they communicated to the man that, um, that murdered their son that they forgave him. And I, you know, I've heard other stories like that, but those are the first people I've ever met that that happened. But that wasn't even the end of the story. So they communicated that to him. And then over the next, uh, at that point, I think it had been 20 years when I met them, over the next 20 years, they went and visited that man who was another young guy in his, in his 20s, about the same age as their son that passed away. They went and visited him at the prison uh, every week. It had been 20 years since their son had been murdered. They were, went and visited the murderer in prison every single week following that, not to torment him or whatever, but in their heart when they said they forgave him, forgave him, they forgave him. And what they communicated to, to, to my friend that I was visiting, I mean, I'll never, I'll never forget that just their ability to have relationship. But what they communicated with my friend is we lost a son, but we've adopted him. In my words, just so we're following the story, they, they adopted the murderer as their own son. And they said, you know, as, as, as my friend was recounting the story, that they said to him, it was difficult to lose a son, but we are able to praise God that he's given us a second son. And the man who, 
who, who murdered their son, they were able to forgive, not just in words, but in action. And they loved him and visited him every week and had a relationship with him. That is the most redemptive story that I've ever experienced or, or been interacted with. It's not a far off story. I ate lunch with those people. It's the most redemptive story I've ever experienced in regards to today's conversation on love. It's week three of our love series. We're talking through the different things that Jesus communicated to us about love. And today we're talking about the statement he made, love your enemies. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter five. And we're gonna start reading at verse number 43. What that couple did, I mean, put yourself in that situation um, how, would you, how would you be able to handle that? And, and certainly not every story is going to happen that way. Um, I'm sure they were, uh, I, I, I'm sure that was not their intention. As, as they got the news of their son's passing, as they were driving to the trial, as they were sitting there through, I mean, I'm not sure how long the trial went, but as they, they were sitting there through the whole process, but as it went on and as they would continue to go to God in prayer for him to heal their heartache, for Jesus himself to be with them and speak to them, I'm sure they felt him guiding them. And as they directed on the path that Jesus told them to walk, then he brought them that outcome. And that is not something that Jesus would tell everybody to do, to go weekly to visit the, the, the murder of your child, but it was what he directed them to do. And as painful as that circumstance was in their life, as God is able to always do, he's able to redeem whatever pain we've experienced and bring something beautiful out of it. Let's read this passage where Jesus is speaking. It's Matthew chapter five, and we'll start reading at verse number 43. It says, and this is Jesus, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're only kind to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. Let's talk about this. Love your enemies. For some of you, we're going to set some things free because you're already feeling guilty. Like, okay, I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to make everybody my friend. I'm supposed to love everybody. I'm supposed to visit everybody. It is not what he's saying. So let's talk through what he did say. What can we learn? First, he says, love your enemies. And uh, here's what he didn't say. Be friends with your enemies. So already right there, you don't have to allow enemies to move into your house and to take advantage of you. You don't have to go bake pies for all your enemies and bring those to their houses. You don't have to give them money. You don't have to invite them over to your holidays. 
If you were to do that, if you were to make friends with all of your enemies, they would no longer be your enemies. So he doesn't say, hey, you have enemies, make friends with them, so then you no longer have enemies. That's not his teaching here. His teaching here is to love your enemies. So there is, for many of the enemies in our life, they're going to continue to be our enemies, and there's nothing we can really do to change that, and we're not called by God to change that. Sigh a big breath of relief. That's a relief. Because there's sometimes a wrong, I mean, I've experienced this wrong teaching in my own life where someone has wronged me and and this this happened to me this year. That something, uh, I was treated in a very, very wrong way. And a Christian who, who uh, from another state says, you know what you need to do? You need to make him a pie, go knock on his door, and reconcile that relationship. And I really struggled with that because I don't want to do that. <laughs> I mean, if God tells me to do it, I'll, I'll be obedient. But honestly, I hope God's not telling me to do that. So what did I do? I mean, I'll be a little bit open with you. I talked to a counselor about it. Hey, this guy wronged me. This other Christian's telling me I need to do this. I don't have to do that, right? And he's like, no, of course not. When someone mistreats you like that, you don't have to ever talk to him again. That's not me hating my enemies or not loving my enemies because, you know, if, if, if I drive by him on the street, I have a choice. I can wave at him. I can wave the bird at him or I can not wave at him. <laughs> to not wave at him is not hating my enemies, all right? But so there's, some per, there's permission in scripture on how we interact. It does not mean, it does not mean you have to continue to do these gestures of kindness. What it does mean is that you're no longer contemplating gestures of revenge. It's a big difference right there. And it takes a whole bunch of, of, of unbiblical Christian guilt off of our shoulders just to respond as Jesus did and not to add anything on top of that. So... Um, Here's the thing about loving your enemies. And it's like, oh, so basic. I've heard that my whole life. But how many of us are actually living that? I, I, you know, I remember 10 years ago, just because of my preaching style, as I like to tell a lot of stories and I like to, um, you know, when we've heard our whole life, love your enemies, I like to ask the question, how actually do we do that? And try to figure out how to live out the Christian life, not just understand what the Christian life is in some ethereal, um, a philosophical way. I want to know how to follow Jesus. It is a literal thing to follow Jesus. How do I do that? Well, because of, because of that, I've had different people push back. And uh, one thing people love to say, because it makes you sound real spiritual, is um, I just wish his preaching was deeper, or I just wish, you know, I just want to go deeper into the word. And I give a lot of pushback on that because uh, let's talk about this, all right? Love your enemies. How you doing on that? So we could talk about going deeper, but are you living deeper? 
And we could preach about loving your enemies every week for the next 52 weeks, and we would still have to grow. So when we talk about like, I wanna, I wanna go deeper, I wanna go deeper. We need to live deeper. We need to follow Jesus in a more obedient way every single day. That is the deeper life. Coincidentally, our next sermon series, Deeper. That is deeper. To say, what do you want me to do, Jesus? What do you want me to do right now? That's the way to live. That's the way that we get to experience all of the great things that God has for us. And by no means am I saying don't study the word, but I'm saying when we get to something, love your enemies. Oh, I know what that means. No, let's study that. Let's live that out. Let's grow in that. Um, you know, loving your enemy, is a, it is a hard thing. Uh, it is harder than being a parent to a newborn. It is harder than losing weight. It is harder than having a happy marriage. It is harder than getting a graduate degree. It is harder than a, it is harder to love your enemies than it is for a southerner to drive in a snowstorm. It is hard. It is not an easy thing to do and thankfully it is not something we do on our own. If we are followers of Jesus and we've given him our life, he resides within us. And it's the Holy Spirit within me that allows me to love my enemies. It's just not something I do on a checklist or I do out of my own strength. It is something that happens as I'm obedient to what God wants me to do. Our enemies, it's not just the people who've made us mad, but as followers of Jesus, big picture enemy, it's those who mock us, who persecute us, who lie about us, or who, or who in the scripture despitefully use us. We're followers of Jesus. Because we're followers of him, there are gonna be people who, who, who make us their enemies, who become our enemies, just because we're followers of Jesus. How do we treat those people? The answer is always love. He goes on here to begin to give us a little bit of, of understanding here. He says, bless them that curse you. This word bless means to speak well of or speak well to. So again, it doesn't mean making a pie and going knocking on their door and giving it to them. But when you're in a conversation and someone says, oh, do you know so-and-so? And you're like, yeah, I know so-and-so. Let me tell you what they did. Loving our enemies has a lot more to do with our tongue and how we communicate than with our hands and, and what gifts we're giving. Speak well of them. Don't curse against them. Don't slander them. And, um, and just, you know, just move about your life. Uh, someone remind me to say this next service, but I just thought about this. You have a terrible employer. What do you do? You know, you can go 
And you can, if you're going to get a job, there, there are websites now that there are like Yelp reviews on the job. So, you know, you know, what is it to work for this landscape company? And you can go and former employees will be like one star, terrible, or five stars, great benefits, great boss, great communication, left the job because I'm an idiot, you know, and, and you can read reviews. What does a Christian do in that? You have a terrible boss. What do you do? I think, it, I think it, you know, different response for all of us, but I don't think we slander our former companies. I just think we politely, hey, would you want, you know, should I get a job we used to work? No. Should I send my kids to that school that you used to send your kids to? No. Should I date this person that's your, that you used to date? No. <laughs> and you don't have to slander them. You don't have to tell everybody all of their all of their bad and difficult things. So Jesus goes on to say, pray for your enemies. Let's talk about three different ways you can pray. Here's the most fun way. Pray for their judgment. And again, we can breathe a sigh of relief here. You can do this. You don't have to feel guilty that in your conversation with God, you're praying for your enemies to die a slow, painful death. You don't have to feel bad about having that interaction with Jesus. We see um, Paul, he prays against those. He, he prays curses against those who threaten the good news of Jesus. They're threatening it by killing Christians. They're threatening it by teaching heresy and teaching a way of Jesus that doesn't lead to salvation. He's very deliberate. Those are in scripture. He prays those. It gives us a little bit of permission. Something's coming against the gospel. We need to pray for it to end. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, it is our, it is our responsibility to protect that that there's not false doctrine that infiltrates a church or infiltrates us, and that we need to pray against those who are preaching a false gospel or a false doctrine. One thing that I do, not all the time, but, but definitely I do, if I drive by a church that doesn't preach the gospel, so they're not preaching that Jesus is the only way to heaven and they exist everywhere, I pray for those churches to close and for a church that preaches the gospel to get the building. Sometimes I pray that we will. God, close that church. Let us open a restoration church there. Is that a terrible thing to do? How could you pray against churches? They're not, church. they're, they're not a church. They're not preaching Jesus as the way of salvation. They're not preaching Jesus as forgiveness of sins. They're not preaching Jesus as the son of God. There are enemies in a polite, in a polite way. So we don't pray, God, kill all those people. No, we pray that they'd come to saving grace, that they'd, that they'd recognize Jesus as their savior, they'd give their heart to him. But we do pray for that church to shut down, for those false doctrines to cease, and for not for it to become a restaurant or a bar or a venue, but for a life-giving church, one that preaches Jesus to, to, to be able to take those resources that someone once built so that the message of Jesus would be, would, would, be, um, would be sent out. 
that the people who invested into that church 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 35 years ago, that their, their fruit, that, that, that the, sows, the seeds that they have sown would begin to grow again. I pray that, pray for judgment. The second thing you can pray, you can pray that they would be scattered. Psalm uh, 68 verse number one says this, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. I wanna share with you an old church song. Integrity's Hosanna Music, written by Ken Henry in 1985. We'll share the song with you. Will you put that up for me? Do you have that up for me? Get that, could you get that up for me? Uh, so I'm gonna share with you the line for this song. The, 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 this is the song. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let God, let God arise. That's the full song. Back in the late 80s and early 90s, they'd throw that song up on the overhead projector and you'd sing it for about five minutes straight. Those lines over and over again, eventually you would modulate and get in a higher pitch and then you'd do it again and then the windows would shatter because you would get in this, uh, in, that's the whole song. And, and it used to, we used to do uh, X3, if you can get that on there for next service, times three. So you sing that three times. And so it was like, I don't even know why anybody would volunteer in the overhead projector that you'd stand on stage with your, with your slides that would shoot on the screen and you just stand there the whole song. And everybody stare at you and you stare at everybody else. <laughs> but that's a, that's a song that you can pray. It's a song we used to sing in church. Some of you used to sing that song in church. It is a, it's a little interesting of a song to sing. But you can pray that. And you know what? A testimony that happened this week, and I can't share all the details with you because I don't want to be subpoenaed to court. But this week I prayed with a family who was in a custody battle, a nasty custody battle. And they lost hope. I mean, this has been going on forever. The, the other families acting in a way that I can't even imagine. And we prayed. And I didn't pray exactly that their enemies would be scattered, but I, but I prayed, God, don't let this continue. Let there be a breakthrough. Let something happen. And we prayed the next part that I'm gonna talk about too, but we just prayed like, for truth to be seen, for the family to get the custody that they after that the kids need. And um, just on Friday, so we prayed this week, we prayed earlier in the week. On Friday, a couple of days later, the other parent acted in, a, in an absolutely un, a negligent way. And because of that parent's behavior on Friday, a couple of days after we prayed, the parents I prayed with now have temporary soul custody. So what was a nasty shared time, just a whole bunch of drama and, 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 and hideous behavior. Now, a couple days later after we prayed, they have soul custody of the kids, which is temporary, but now the upcoming court order is a lot of evidence now to pre present before the judge. And uh, this is not a wrong thing to pray. We see this other places in scripture. God makes the enemy confused. Why in the middle of a custody battle would you act this way? Because God is just able to allow who you are to come out. 
This is not, this is not a wrong thing to pray. But there's another thing to pray that we don't like to pray. And don't pray the first two unless you're willing to pray this last one. Pray for their salvation. And we prayed for this for in that custody battle. You don't pray the first two unless you're willing to pray the last. Because if you're praying for God to kill your enemies, but you're not praying for them to receive salvation, then I tell you what, you're not loving your enemies. 1 Peter 3, 9 says, do not repay evil for evil. Do not retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Again, it's not slandering them, speaking well of. That is what God called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. He will speak well of you. He will care for you. What greater blessing can your enemy experience than receiving and meeting Jesus? There's nothing greater that they could experience in this life than meeting him. And if you're someone who's never made a decision to follow Jesus, it'd be the same thing that's true for you. There's no greater experience in this earth than to meet our creator and our savior and our God. No greater blessing. See, pray for their salvation that they'll know him and meet him. And I've met different people over the years who hope their enemies go to hell and so they will never, ever, ever, they, they don't ever want them to walk into this church. Let's jump all the way back here. Verse number 44, the words of Jesus to you, love your enemies. Meeting Jesus changes people's lives. It changes their lives. And I think one great example of that, and I can probably think of more, but I think of one great example of this. I was a seventh grader at Summersworth Middle School, and I don't know what happened, but me and another kid got in a fight in the hallway. It was not a huge fight. It was... But it, but it could have gone more if either of us were more courageous. But it was shoving and a few hands to necks. I remember him kicking me with his big, huge winter boots. And fast forward to today, uh, we're both pastors here in Stratford County. <laughs> Interestingly, I have a second story about fighting a kid in high school, he also is a pastor here in Stratford County. So just interesting. Three pastors here in Stratford County. We all went to Summersworth Middle School and uh, we're all the same grade. We all got in a fight with each other at one point. We're all pastors. Good stuff. <laughs> Why? Because meeting Jesus changes lives. It changes lives. He will change your life. If you would simply say, Jesus, I believe that you're God's son. And I ask you to be my savior. I've done a lot of things I, that I shouldn't have. I suppose you know all about all that. He does. I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to save me. 
Here's one of the reasons why you should pray that prayer. Here's one of the reasons why we pray for our enemies to receive salvation. It's because Jesus loves your enemies. We forget that. We think because we hate them that he hates them. We think because they hate us that he hates them. But that's not true. Verse number 45, it rains on the just and the unjust. We always think of that as negative. Bad things happen to Christians just like they happen to non-Christians. That's not what this verse is saying. Rain, when you don't have city water and you don't have a 300-foot artesian well and you live in an arid desert climate, rain is a very precious, precious thing. And God, because he loves us, makes it rain on his children so their crops will grow, so their cisterns will be full. He does that on the unjust as well, that their crops could grow, that their cisterns could be full. Why? Because he loves them as much as he loves you. And we can think, well, that's not fair. I tithe, I give to kingdom builders. But that's not fair because I, she's playing by the way, if you could unmute that. <laughs> Look, she's typing a report. I see her moving her hands. <laughs> and you think it's not fair, it's not fair. I want to remind you that he did the same for you. Again, one of our favorite scriptures, while we were still his enemies, Jesus died on the cross. We were unjust, but the rain, the blessing of God, the source of life, Jesus came, which is what we celebrate every Christmas. He came, became one of us. While we were his enemies, he died on the cross for us. While we were his enemies, he rose from the grave. While we were his enemies, he made this covenant. If you will call on my name and believe in me, you will be saved. We experienced that when we were his enemies. We pray for our enemies to experience that as well. The last statement here before I pray is, again, forgiveness. It's hard, all right, when we hate our enemies. We don't want to forget what our enemies have done. We don't want to let go. You know, we don't, I don't want you to let people walk all over you. Go by Boundaries by Henry Cloud. Read it. Live a guilt-free life. I'm not telling you to let people walk all over you. I'm not telling you to go bake pies and bring them over and try to reconcile. You do what Jesus tells you to do in those relationships. But you pray. Pray for their judgment. Don't bring that to your prayer meeting, all right? But you can pray for that privately. That's fine. 
Pray for them to be scattered. God, I pray that hideous neighbor will move away in Jesus' name. God, I pray for that boss to get to get moved to a different division or a different company or to to a different part, a different dimension. You know, may they go to heaven or the other place. Pray for them to be scattered and moved out. Pray for that, that's fine. But you know what? Pray with a sincere heart that they would be saved. God, I know that all of these things would be different if they knew you. I do pray that someone, a family member, a different coworker, a neighbor, will introduce them to Jesus and they will meet you and be saved by you as I have. When we forgive, again, it's not letting them off the hook. Forgive for you. It's internally for you. God wants you to live without bitterness. He wants you to live without unforgiveness. Uh, in uh, Mark 11, Jesus teaching here, you need to forgive, so I'll forgive you. It's important here principle. We harbor unforgiveness. I mean, it keeps our prayers from being answered. It keeps, it makes our hearts polluted. It keeps God, it puts him in an inability to speak to us. It keeps the fruit of the Holy Spirit from growing in our life. Unforgiveness is a treacherous, dangerous, polluting thing for our soul. So we forgive. We forgive internally. I, man, I forgive that person. I forgive that boss. I forgive that ex. I forgive that parent. I forgive. Will you close your eyes? Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you. Thank you for loving us while we were your enemies. Thank you for not making us earn it or prove it, not going through aptitude test or spiritual gift test or, or having to memorize so much of the Bible before you'd be willing to offer forgiveness to us. All we do is say with our mouth and believe in our heart that you're Jesus and ask you to be our savior and it is done. We are forgiven, no strings attached. We are adopted into your family and it is a amazing thing to know you and to follow you and to know your love for us. I pray for every enemy represented here in this room. And God, I pray for those who need to receive your judgment that it would happen. It would happen in the court. It would happen just according to your will but that people wouldn't get away with the wrongs that they've done. And ultimately we know that if they don't give their life to you, you will, you will bring a true and perfect judgment. So we just even rest in that. It doesn't matter if it happens here, no one gets away with anything. We pray for enemies to be scattered. I pray for every terrible boss and manager. Man, may they just lose their job and God make Christians and may people who, who have character step into their places. I just pray God change every work environment in Jesus' name. I pray for neighbors to move away. I pray for, uh, we just pray God, scatter our enemies. And I just pray against any spiritual enemy too that uh, is just trying to cause disruption in people's lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, go now. And Jesus, we pray for their salvation. I pray for anyone in our services today.
anyone online that they've never put their trust in you, just thought, well, I gotta earn it. I've gotta make it right. I've gotta do these things first and just take that lie away. We come to you. I pray they would receive you as a savior. And we pray for our enemies, Jesus. May our church and may the kingdom be full of enemies who became brothers and sisters. May it be full. May they hear of you and call on you and be rescued by you just as we were. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand to your feet. Let's sing for just a moment before we... Uh, before we end service.